You are listening to episode 280 on University of Adversity. As we're doing that, I hear, I hear some noise behind me. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I, and I turned around and it was my teammate, Chris Mantica, had, had moved the seat um, that was on top of him. And, and he was trapped underneath the bus, you know, from, from his armpits to his, um, where his legs were. And he, he couldn't say anything. Like he was reaching out, but he was being suffocated by the bus on top of him. Life is going to give you challenges, struggles. It's going to force you to face your fears. Even though these may feel like your worst enemy, in truth, these are actually your greatest allies. My name is Lance Isios. Welcome to the University of Adversity. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the show. You guys are in for another treat today, a very powerful survival story little bit about my guest today. His name is Bob Wilkie. He is a former NHL player, an award-winning entrepreneur, a best-selling author, and has given thousands of presentations to crowds ranging from CEOs, businesses, schools, and sports organizations throughout North America. His presentations are an emotional ride that triggers and inspires a deeper sense of understanding, hope, and motivation. We really try to unpack a lot in here, you guys, around mental health, trauma, how addiction is usually rooted to trauma. There's a lot of really powerful mental health stuff that we cover here. The stigma in society on how it's it's perceived and how, I know when I grew up, ever talking about your feelings or anything that had to do in that area was frowned upon. And... Just now I'm realizing how the power of sharing and being in your truth and sharing your story is what allows you to heal. And, you know, Bob realizes this too. And as we get into a part in our lives in society where mental health and getting through these challenging situations are going to get a lot, that are hard and going to get a lot more challenging, we need to stick together. And I want to provide you guys with the tools that you can use to get through these tough times. Because in my opinion, mental health, that's the real pandemic. That's gonna be what comes out of this, is really some serious issues with mental health because a lot of people haven't been faced with this stuff. They haven't been put into corners like they have been. And I feel the call to really provide help and resources for anybody struggling. And I think this episode will help you a lot. On top of that, Bob survived a horrific bus accident as a teenager in the Western Hockey League. And he survived it with one of the most famous NHL players of all time, Joe Sackick. Joe Sackick went on to be one of the greats of all time. Bob also played in the NHL and he's done a lot. And unpacking his story of his addictions and the deep-rooted trauma that he's been through, he's really able to help a lot of people now. And with his company, I Got Mind, they're really looking to help promote mental health in sports, which is much needed. And this is an area that really interests me as well, because as I said earlier, there's not a lot of talk about this in sports. We're not conditioned to go through, well, what happens when our, our mental health gets out, of, gets out of line? How do we deal with it? And this is the problem with life after sports is like a lot of people don't have the tools and then they crumble. That's what happened to me. 
It's what happened to a lot of people. So I really hope this helps guys. And if you do get value from this, please share this with a friend who needs it. Leave us a review on Apple and it really, really matters. So um, I, I take great pride in, in, in really talking about this stuff and really mental health is probably my number one priority right now. And I want to do my best to deliver, you know, the most important information that I can. So hope you guys enjoy this episode. Bob Wilkie coming right out. Here we go. Bob, how you doing, man? Thanks for coming on the show. Appreciate you. Yeah, things are good, Lance. Uh, happy to be here. Yeah, man. I, uh, it's a great time to have this conversation. Um, especially, well, not just in sports, but like our world right now is going through a challenging time. And, you know, we were just talking before you're in Calgary, I'm in Vancouver. And it's interesting, even in Canada, how different the situation is for so many different people at, you know, kind of what's going on. So yeah, like talk us through like, how are you, how are you been doing through all this stuff so far? And you know, what has come up and you know, how, how, how's that been for you so far? You know, I remember going back, you know, February, typically Lance, what we do is we go out into the community and, and we host these live community events where we talk about mental health. Um, you know, so we would have 200 people in a room and we're talking about all the different issues and, and just, you know, fantastic. So as we're doing our planning, we're starting to think about maybe should, should we cancel some of our shows, you know, because this COVID thing, we're not quite sure what it is. And man, it came to a screech and halt. And it was really hard personally because there's so many times in my life because, you know, I wasn't mentally healthy, I wasn't well, um, that I had kind of ruined <laughs> what I had going on. So, you know, that self-sabotage piece that we tend to get into. Uh, yeah. And so it took me a couple of weeks to just kind of get my head wrapped around, okay, Bob, this you didn't do this one, right? It wasn't because of you know, your drinking or your lack of communication or, you know, the self, the, all the things that you screwed up your, your future in the past, this is a world thing. It, like everybody's been sucked into this. So I think once I got past that, um, you know, I was able to regroup rather quickly and, and get back on the horse and start moving again. You know, man, I can really resonate with that as well because that pattern of self-sabotage is so it's so common and we always think that because we've done it in the past that that's going to be what our future holds too like every single thing that we do is going to be like that because we've done that before you know it's crazy how we have that 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 pattern that shows up you know we we, we truly do start to become our mistakes right and yeah. and all those shortcomings are the things that we hide from those are the things that we hope aren't exposed and, and there's shame and there's guilt around those things. And, and so we never address them, which means we never fix them, which means we tend to have that repetitive, um, you know, results where, damn it, how the hell did I end up here again? Yeah. Yeah. And most people aren't even aware. It's just this loop of, it's just the way it is. And there's no awareness as to like what is going on. It's just like, well, that's just the way I am, right? And it's the first step is being aware of the situation, aware of the problem, right? Yeah, it, it's, 
it's so hard to get there, you know, yeah. just because you have to go looking for these answers. Unfortunately, they're not mainstream, right? It's not yeah. something that you're taught in grade eight science or, you know, grade 10, uh, you know, life classes. It's, it, it's something that you truly have to be so dissatisfied with the way things are going that I need to go and figure out why this keeps happening. And that's exactly what happened for me was, you know, at the end of my career, I'm 30 years old going, what the hell happened? Because, you know, here I am this, you know, very talented, um, you know, cheery, happy-go-lucky kind of guy at 15, 16 years old. And, and in the blink of an eye, I'm 30 going, where did it all go wrong? Yeah. Yeah, I know. And this is the thing. And this is why I think this is such an important conversation. And that something that I've really been thinking about lately, it's it's that the life after an athlete, after a sport, you know, after that ends, like, who are you? Who's your identity? Because I remember when my junior hockey career ended, you know, I fucked my career over because I did steroids in my final year junior. I went into camp and I just couldn't skate. And I literally, you know, flushed my career down the toilet. And I lived in that regret for so many years, like just so, you know, and I didn't know who I was. I really did not know who I was. And that is, that's a, an issue with a lot of players is like you get so, you go down this, you're so focused on the goal. And if that goal doesn't happen, if you don't make it pro or you don't get a scholarship or whatever, then you're a nobody and then you don't know what to do after. And that's just so far from the truth that I wish that there was more education on that growing up because like, there's so many opportunities that come from just being involved in sports that we're just, we don't realize it. Like, I know I was never taught that, <laughs> like, you know? You know, and you bring up such an important point because we, we do make it our identity, right? I am a hockey player. Yeah. And, you know, the thing that we found in doing the work is that this isn't just in sport, Lance. This, this, is, this goes on for other, you know, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a yeah. business owner, I'm a, right? And, and so when something ends and all of a sudden that identity is not there anymore, we don't know what the hell to do. Yeah. And, you know, what we try and teach the, the athletes that we work with and, and the businesses and, and all the different people that we've good, had the good fortune to support is that until you know who you truly are, what your beliefs are, what you stand for, what are your values, um, you know, and start to create that image, you'll realize that these are just things that you do, right? I wasn't a hockey player. It was something I like to do. And yeah. when I learned that, it, it, it kind of put that unrest to bed and allowed me to move forward. And, and that's really a lot of the focus that we try and help people with is, you know, understanding and being able to answer the question, who are you? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Discovering that because yeah, we get so wrapped up in, in what we're doing that we become that as like the thing. And then when that goes away, it's like, well, who am I now? And that happens a lot. And I think that a lot has to do with the programming that we have in sports. And I mean, when I grew up, it was, there was no mental health conversations. There was, there was nothing like that. And, you know, it's crazy Suck to think. Up, get on exactly. Bag skate. <laughs> like if you guys, if you make a mistake, get on the line, skate till you puke. We're like, we're like eight years old. Like, that's crazy, man. Like that is crazy to think about now when I look back. Like I grew up in Edmonton and 
you know, it was just <laughs> the, the way, I mean, I'm almost grateful for a lot of it though, in a way, the disciplinary aspect of it, because like it did really get me to work hard, but at the same time, I don't think that's the best way to shape young minds. You know, it's a, it's a really, it's a, it's a really, it's a challenging way. I don't, I mean, back then, I mean, there wasn't a lot of tools really for coaches even, you know? No, there was no coaches and, and you know, it, it, it's conditioning, right? Like even when I got into coaching after I played, I found myself, you know, barking and biting and, and, and threatening just as I was the things that I hated most I was now doing because I thought that's what coaches had to do. And it wasn't until I learned that I don't have to be that kind of coach. Right. And, and when we get into the different roles in our lives, we tend to change our behavior because that's what we think that that role needs. And, and what we need to learn and understand is that that's not the truth. We get to be who we are in every different role that we play, um, different skill sets, you know, different conversations, different expectations, but we still need to be who we are in those different roles because the minute we start changing who we are in those different roles, that's when things get really confusing and frustrating. Yeah. So a lot of this, our self-sabotage and, you know, addictions and all this stuff starts from trauma and it a lot of times starts at a young age. So I would love if you could walk us through a little bit of your story because I know that it's, uh, it's pretty incredible what you went through. And yeah, give us a little bit of insight to kind of how you were, how you experienced that, your, your first experience with trauma and now like kind of how you can identify it as being like a key factor in, you know, problems down the road. You know, it, it's been an interesting road, Lance, because, you know, trauma, what most people would asso associate with trauma would be a plane crash, a car crash, um, you know, something uh, that you would see on the news. But the thing that I've learned about trauma is it's a very individualized response. So, you know, what I would uh, deem to be traumatizing, you would look at me and go, what are you being such a pussy for? Yeah. And, you know, that's the one thing that I think is really important as I start to tell my story and we talk about trauma is that we're very quick to judge when, when somebody doesn't handle something right. So, you know, I go back to when I was 10 years old and, and being talented and being a big kid. Um, you know, the, the coach's expectations of me was, you know, unrealistic, you know, for me to be uh, this kid that could go out and score three, four goals and win, win the game for the team. Every time I went out there, you know, I just, I, I wasn't capable of that kind of consistency. So what happened was there was lots of aggression. There was lots of, um, you know, fear-based leadership where there was lots of threats. And so, you know, me being a sensitive guy, that, I took it very personally because, you know, why is he so angry at me? Why is he mad? Why doesn't he like me? And, and, you know, over the course of a season, you know, that, that takes a toll on a young person, especially. And, and we call that the power differential. It's the one thing I've learned with my partnership with Hall and, and all their research and the brain science with Dr. Bruce Perry is that there's this thing called the power differential. So, you know, all the adults in my life had this power and I'm just this 10 year old kid down here and they're yelling and screaming and making me feel lower and lower and lower, you know, trying to motivate me, you know, they yeah. weren't really, you know, nasty people. They were just trying to light the fire. And what they were doing is actually, they were putting the fire out, you know, because of this unhealthy power differential. So, you know, 10 years old, okay. Um, 11 years old, here it is again. 
you know, you get into the elite stream. Now there's a lot of pressure. There's a lot of competition. So it's not only the coaches, it's the parents that you see it happening. It's in the locker room that you see it happening. So 13, 14, 15, junior hockey at 16, um, you know, the, the, the hazing and, and the bullying and, and all the things that they do, that, that rite of passage, right? Now you're, you're at this level, so this is what you have to endure, which is terrifying. Um, I mean, I remember one kid, he, he absolutely, uh, he, he lost it. He quit hockey after that, you know, the, the hazing rituals that people were doing because it was just so bad. But, you know, my goal was to make the NHL. So I, I just thought, okay, just keep going, right? Um, so I played my, my first year junior at 16 years old in the Western Hockey League, playing in a position that I had never played before. I made the team as a defenseman when I was a right winger. Um, you know, all the resentment from the older players because I was getting a lot of playing time because the coach, you know, liked what I did. I, I didn't have all the pressures and, and, you know, being drafted and all the things that they were dealing with. I was just a 16-year-old kid happy to be playing. So I, I was very carefree, which meant I was playing well. Well, the bullying that went on that year was just awful. And, you know, again, so here we are traumatized, you know, by the fact that there's these people that are willing to do these things to me. What did I do to them? You know, trying to make sense of all that. At 17 years old, um, you know, being ranked to be drafted in the NHL draft, you know, was an exciting time. Um, It was a great summer. And when I came back for my second year of junior um, there was a new uh, general manager in town and um, he did not like my style of play. He thought I was too soft. Um, you know, I needed to be harder. I needed to fight. I needed to, you know, just kind of have that grit. And and so I ended up getting traded to Swift Current, um, which again was a big shock. Anybody that leaves home for the first time knows it's not an easy thing to do. We get into, um, you know, the homesickness, couple of months. Uh, Graham James was my coach. You know, I'd never had a good relationship with a coach uh, growing up and this one was you know just another recurring nightmare and you know finally kind of pulled it all together with the help of my teammates we had a great group um, Joe Sackick was there Sheldon Kennedy was there uh, the Kruger brothers um, you know Trent Cressy just just a really good group of guys yeah. that were excited to play so I, I started to feed off of them and was feeling good and December 30th, 1986 happened. And it was just the thing that changed my life forever. Uh, riding down the highway, uh, going to a game in Regina, uh, you know, ready to put on the skates and do battle and bus slides off the road and, um, you know, took the life of four of my teammates. And I watched one of them uh, die right in front of me. And, and I was never the same after that. What was going through your mind Cause like, here's the thing when I, when I heard about, you know, with Humboldt and what happened and then, you know, her, and then, you know, when you hear about that, you hear about that, your accident as well, you know, every, you start to go, Oh wow, this is, this happens a lot. I mean, not a lot, but I mean, still it's happened. happens once it's too much. Right. And I think about all the times I was on that bus in junior, you know, the icy roads, road trips like just we shouldn't be driving like it's crazy and how how like close a lot of us came to that and you know like what 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 was going through your mind when that happened man like how like 
did did it happen so fast that it was kind of like what just happened or like walk us through it a little bit if you can because like this is this is it i just want to really understand like what you were thinking at that moment because that changed so much for you and and I think it's important that you know people understand that, that, that this is what happens, right? Something happens to all of us. Yeah. And you know, in that moment was like I said, you know, everybody had their new Christmas gifts. I had my new Walkman. I had my new book. You know, just relaxing and chilling on the bus like we always did. The guys were right next to me playing cards. Um, you know, there was good energy on the bus, and I mean, we literally weren't five minutes out of town. And I remember I had my headphones on and I'm reading my book and out of the corner of my eye, I see Trent stand up because uh, all the guys were playing cards right next to me. And, and I could see his arms come out and he said, hold on, everything's going to be okay. And the last thing I remember is kind of seeing everybody floating through the air. And, and then I woke up um, freezing because all the windows had been smashed out. It was very cold and and blistery that day, you know, typical winter in Saskatchewan. And, you know, when we were on the bus, we, we always got comfortable, right? So I always had my shorts on and just a, a t-shirt. Yeah. And so I, I remember, you know, hearing my teammate, Peter Soberlax, you know, Wilkes, Wilkes, are you okay? And, and just groggy and my ears were ringing. Um, and, and the bus was on its side. So there was just everything everywhere and, and not, fully aware what had just happened. Right. Um, and, and, and as you know, you, you kind of stand up and you're moving around and he's looking at me, he's like, dude, you're really bad. My face was all cut up and I, and I couldn't stand, um, you know, was in a lot of pain and he says, Wilkes, this is bad. And, you know, as we start trying to look for our coats and, and just kind of get the, what had happened and see what else is going on in the bus as I turn around, I, I see some, some bodies out in the field behind me and I turn and I'm like, sober, this is bad. And as I continue to move things around, looking for my coat, I see a pair of legs underneath the bus. And that's when I start screaming, somebody's under the bus, everybody get off the bus. And I don't know if they heard me or not, Lance, um, you know, in that moment, when you watch it in a movie scene, you know, you, they do a very good job of the ears ringing where you, you don't have a sense of kind of what's going on as, as we're screaming and trying to push everybody to get off because everybody was exiting through the front of the bus. Well, we were right at the back. We could have stepped out the back window, but when we saw the legs, we, we just wanted to get off the bus. Um, as we're doing that, I hear, I hear some noise behind me. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I, and I turned around and it was my teammate, Chris Mantica, had, had moved the seat um, that was on top of him and, and he was trapped underneath the bus, you know, from, from his armpits to his, um, where his legs were. And he, he couldn't say anything. Like he was reaching out, but he was being suffocated by the bus on top of him. And that's the last thing I remember. Um, I woke up in the hospital in Swift Current after that. I, I have no recollection of, of what happened. And, you know, what I understand was my, my body just couldn't take anymore. And I went into shock and, and, and shut down. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, man. Like, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Like, isn't it amazing how we can remember certain things like that in such detail? Like, 
but then we how our brain would shut off as well like it's it's really it's crazy it was 20 years um that that vision haunted me uh wow you know i i i was scared to go to sleep at most nights because i didn't i didn't want to have that image anymore so i think that's why when when people are traumatized um, you know, when we start to make the other decisions that we do is that we don't want to relive that, that pain, right? We don't, we don't want to have to go through it, but it's so deep and trying to avoid it is just not the right thing to do. Okay. So what was the next move? So you guys were going through, you know, you lost four players or yep. six. Okay. What was the procedure? Did you guys I can't remember. Did you got you did you guys take how much time did you take off? Like what did you did you like what was the procedure after that? Ten days. The lead shut down for ten days. That's it. Yeah. We met um so myself, Kurt Lacton, who was our captain, and Dougie Levins, who was uh the trainer filling in for our regular trainer. We were all in the hospital. Uh we were released, I think Kurt and I were out in a couple of days. Um, Dougie, unfortunately had broke his pelvis. So he was in there for a little bit longer and we got together as a group at the rink and they said, go home. Um, we'll let you know when the funerals are going to be and you know, who we would like to go to what funerals. Um, because Brent Ruff was, was from Wetaskiwin. Um, Trent Cressy was from Kindersley. Scotty Kruger was from Swift and Chris Mantica was from Saskatoon. So we, we all kind of split up and said, well, we'll go here and we'll go here and, and we'll go here. Um, so I, I stayed in Swift and went to Scotty's funeral. Um, you know, it was, was really hard time and then went home after that. And um, yeah, it just, you know, it was never the same. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to see anybody. I just wanted to, every, I just wanted to be alone. And, um, you know, that was hard for a lot of people because they want to support you. They want to, yeah. you know, make sure that you're okay. And, and I just... I remember that there was a lot of that frustration and I think a lot of people be able to relate to this when, when we are traumatized, you know, we, we tend to just want to go into our shell and everybody else gets concerned and they don't know, you know, how to help you and we don't know how to ask for help. So, you know, a lot of that frustration and fear can overtake everybody. Um, when, when somebody goes through a life event like that, we, we, we got back together 10 days later and, and said, you know, we want to keep going. That's what they would want us to do. Um, the league had put some rules in place for other teams to be able to make players accessible so that we could fill our roster again, because a couple of guys had quit after that accident. Just, you know, I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not getting on that bus again. No kidding. Um, it was really hard, you know, uh, going back and, and trying to be excited. Um, it, I felt really bad for the guys that were coming in, you know, because who, who wants to come into that scenario, right? Where um, we yeah. had just lost four of our teammates and, and it, it was really interesting, Lance, you know, I, I've been fascinated by trying to learn more about trauma. And, and so I watch a lot of war movies and I remember I was watching, um, it was one of the HBO specials, uh, Band of Brothers. And, and, you know, it, it shows these soldiers going through and, and, and losing, you know what I mean? Their, their teammates. And, um, you know, when the new teammates would come in, how hard they would be on them, how, you know, they didn't want to get close to them. And it was because they didn't want to care about somebody and then lose them again. 
and it was almost that kind of thing, you know, these, these poor guys coming in just, just weren't allowed in, right. Because of what we had gone through. Um, uh, it, it was tough for us. So just an unbelievable dy- dynamic. And then, you know, Graham James doing the things that he was doing to some of our teammates, you know, with the, you know, being the, the, the child molester, um, wouldn't allow anybody to come in and support, right? Like today, right away, there's a hundred different mental health specialists, you know, wanting to help out. We, we really didn't have anything other than each other. You know, the, the kids in Swift Current that, that knew us. So a, a lot of our healing was done, um, you know, in the basements of, of the families in Swift Current because what was continuing to happen, I mean, every time we went somewhere, we'd get a standing ovation we didn't want that. I remember being on the blue line for the national anthem and and people, you know, give us that standing ovation and absolutely sobbing um, because this is not, this is not what I wanted. I didn't want a recognition for surviving. Um, I I felt like shit that I survived and they died. So it it was a really hard time in, in so many different ways that to be honest with you, fucked me up for, you know, the, the next, 15, 20 years of my life. Man, I that itself is hard enough. Never mind dealing with a scumbag for a coach like that. Yeah. You know, I had Theo Fleury on the show talking about him, man. And it just, you know, I had read his book and then he just, him talking about it. I was like, I can't believe this guy, man. And yeah. like to not, to, to just have a coach like that on top of such a hard situation, that must've been so challenging how how did it affect other players i mean like sakic i mean how did you like it's it's crazy to think like how did these guys compartmentalize this stuff you know like how did did you guys have conversations later about dealing with this stuff or did you guys just keep it to yourselves or do you get did you guys reunite and talk about it like because, or did you know what was going on? Like, what, what what was it like for the rest of that year and just moving forward? Because, like, I can't even imagine how how to even process or move forward from that. You know, just just moving forward the rest of the year was was very difficult. Uh, you know, every time you get on the bus, right? It, it, it's reliving the trauma. Like, you're right there in it. Yeah. Um, and so that was extremely difficult trying to be consistent. We were, we were trying to get into the playoffs, you know, it was the first year in swift current and, you know, Graham got angrier and angrier, right? Like his outbursts were um, very unsettling. Uh, I remember a, a couple of our boom boxes would get smashed because he'd come in and, and lose it. And, and, and knowing what I know now, I really think that Graham was struggling with, he, he realized what he was doing to all of us, right? It wasn't just the ones that, that he was molesting. It was, this was fucking up everybody. And I think the pressure really was, was getting to him because we saw his behavior just go from, you know, a, a kind of an asshole um, to a complete tyrant. Wow. And, you know, it made it even harder for us to want to play. And, and we ended up did, we did make the playoffs that year, believe it or not. Um, you know, pretty much on the shoulders of Joe. I mean, Joe was just phenomenal and and he really is the anomaly in all this because I don't know how it affected Joe. I've never talked to him about it. I know he doesn't like to talk about it. Uh, Um, What he was able to go out and continue to do, um, 
you know, a lot of us were like, how the hell are you doing that? Like, how do you not feel like we feel? Yeah. Um, and, and some people just have that ability, right? Again, that's where trauma is very individualized. It, it didn't affect him as much as it affected me. Um, did he see what I saw? No. Would it have changed things if he did? I, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it's, it, it's just something that happens. So, you know, it, it's just a really good point that some people can, can get on and, uh, you know, stand up and shake it off and away they go. Other people, um, it, it can affect severely and, and debilitate them. So, you know, it's just, um, it's one of those shitty things in life that happens to people. It, it, you couldn't have wrote a more fucked up story, Dude, I, I'm, uh, you know, seriously with the accident and with Graham and, and, and all that, that that's come about since. Um, but it's there's also made me who I am. There's gotta be like a movie made on about that year or in general, man, like that is insane. Like, and then just to, just, just to top it off, to have such an amazing player on your team like Joe Sackick, you know, as, you know, being involved in that and just like, wow, it's, what a crazy dynamic, what a crazy story, you know, like. And, and so, you know, you fast forward a couple of years, there's still yeah. seven of us that are left from the bus accident and, and we really were the core group. We, we didn't get along really well. Um, uh you know, but, but we knew what we had. And, and so we were able to go and win the Memorial cup and be, yeah. you know, the best team in, in the world set all sorts of records. I still think we hold the most power play goals um, by a team in a season. Um, you know, we were voted the best junior team, uh, you know, in a hundred years. Um, that, that, that's how special it was, you know, what we were able to pull together but we still didn't talk about it. Right. Shelly was on his path. He was, you know, out of control doing things. I was out of control doing things like it, it, it was pure chaos, but somehow, you know, we were able to come to the rink and, and that was our, you know, salvation, right? That's where we got to go and forget about everything for a little while. And, and we had some things to prove. It wasn't until 20 years later I wrote a book um, about you know that whole time period yeah. and the bus bus accident that we had kind of a reunion for the Memorial Cup team and I remember Peter Soberlack came into town and stayed with me and Sheldon picked us up and we all drove out and and that was the first time that we had ever talked about everything that had gone on and um, I think that's when we were finally able to you know let it all go. Wow. How different would it have been if you guys had talked about it years later, you know, or years earlier, sorry. Like if there was that freedom that it's okay to share, it's okay to be vulnerable and be like, this fucking sucks and get emotional about it. Because man, that is, that is insanity. Like what you guys went through, the fact that you guys are still like intact like, and still like that, most people wouldn't be able to get through that, man. You know, like that's why I think it's so powerful what you're doing too now because like you've literally been through a shit storm and you've been able to come out and be like, all right, you know, like, and to be able to look back and, and, and identify the, the, the issues. And I guess like that fact to be able to like, how, how much freedom did you feel when you guys were able to talk about this stuff? Like it must've left so much pressure off you. It, it really did. You know, writing the book, um, was such a freeing experience because that was the first time that I'd really talked about it. Right. Like yeah. everybody, it's not knew, easy. 
It's not easy no. to talk about that stuff. No. And everybody in, in my career after that knew, you know, that I was a part of that, but nobody really wanted to know about it. And I was okay with that. Yeah. You know, you, you tell the story of, yeah, it sucked. And, and, you know, you'd give little tidbits, but you never, because people just didn't understand, right? Like that's, that was the hardest part about leaving Swift Current was because we all knew the pain. We all knew what we had gone through. So it made us very tight. Like I said, we didn't always get along, but we knew what we had been through. And, and the minute that that disbanded and we had to go to, you know, other cultures, nobody gave a shit, right? Like it, it doesn't matter. I don't care that you went through that. Are you going to play or are you not going to play? Are you going to perform? You're not going to perform, yeah. right? It was, it was all about that. And because I hadn't healed, um, you know, Sheldon and I had both gone to Detroit and, you know, uh, it was just so unfortunate because Shelly was in such a bad place. I was in such a bad place. And, and you know, there was lots of drinking, lots of drugs, uh, lots of reckless behavior. The typical things that happen when somebody, you know, doesn't resolve the trauma that they have, they, they, they turn to the things that are going to make them feel better. And, and, you know, being an athlete anyway, that was just the natural thing for us to do. So you know, we would always get asked by the general managers and the coaches, you know, what the fuck is wrong with you? And, and, you know, you hear that so much that I, I don't know what's wrong with me. I wish I knew what was wrong with me. Obviously you can see that there's something wrong with me, but you're not somebody that has any solutions either. Mm. Right. It's just that constant judgment. And, and then you're discarded, right? You're just, you're just an asset. So yeah. Yeah he's a drunk. We knew he was a drunk. Let's fucking get rid of him and, and go find somebody else. So, you know, you get that, that label on you and I didn't want to be a drunk. I hadn't turned, you know what I mean? Uh, at 15 saying sweet, now I can booze all I want. Um, but when you wear that label and you know, this Lance from being in the hockey world, once you have a label, it's hard to shake that. So yeah. no matter where I went, um, they were just waiting for that shoe to drop and, and eventually it would because you know that's that self-sabotage piece I would do something where I would get drunk and and miss a plane or show up late for practice or you know do the things that that you know when somebody who's struggling with addiction they do yeah and then it's like yeah everybody was right let's get rid of them and so um, you know that just deepened the shame and deepened the guilt and and made it even harder to function as a professional athlete yeah. And once you discover alcohol, it's like such an easy way to use it to hide, you know, and that's what happened with me. And I didn't realize until I recently unpacked all of it and, and figured out like why I was, why, because it's always to just to, to numb out, man, you know, numb out whatever feelings you have. And, and sometimes to process trauma that we don't even know existed being the reason like that, once you make sense of it, it's like, oh, okay, I get it, you know? And alcohol is one of those things where it's so readily available. And especially, I mean, when I played junior, it was wild. I can't even imagine when you guys were playing pro. Like, I hear some of the podcasts, like, hearing these guys, like Chelios and them talk about, like, it's it must have been a fucking circus back then, you know? Like, yeah. just free for all. And I just can't imagine, like, if you have an issue, like, it's, Alcohol, it's just so readily available. You can just, it's so easy to fall off the tracks, you know? And 
yeah, it's, man, it's crazy. What, so with, with what you were doing, like when you're, did you, did you realize, like, when did you start to think like, okay, this is, I'm doing this because I'm, I'm like trying to numb a trauma or did that even come? You were just drinking because you're young and you're having, you're in the, you know, playing pro hockey. Like what was the thought pattern in your head? Because I know that feeling too, that self-sabotage, you don't even really know it. And alcohol is like one of those things. It's like you get used to fucking up and it's like, it's like you're waiting for that moment to, and it's like, oh, I usually fuck up by doing this. And it's, it's like, it'll just happen. And I remember when I quit drinking for a year, I had the same habits in work. I, you know, I worked in bars and I was always like, there was going to be that moment where I made a mistake and then everybody would have the upper hand on me and I'd be the, the laughing stock or the fuck up or whatever. And when I took that away, I'd be like, whoa, nobody, there's no, there's no moment of being, being the idiot, <laughs> you know, making yeah. the mistakes, you know? And then when you take that away, you're like, wow, this is, this is a different life. Like it's crazy, right? It was, um, I was 35 and I had retired when I was 30 years old, um, had no education, you know, didn't know what the hell I was going to do next. Um, moved back to Pennsylvania where my wife's from, uh, you know, in the Hershey area, I had played in Hershey with the Philadelphia Flyers organization. Yeah. And, you know, uh, living in her parents' basement, right? Didn't know where to go, what to do. Had a young daughter. She, she was just uh, a little over a year old. And, you know, that, those couple of years were really hard because how the hell did I end up here, right? Uh, I, I was a talented, uh, um, you know, scheduled to be a, a very good professional hockey player, um, you know, the, living the dream, making the money, you know, doing all those things. And, and here I am living in my in-law's basement, um, you know, married with the, with a young kid and, and really no future, um, bouncing, like you said, bartending, uh, you know, still numbing out very disappointed in myself, uh, really struggling with, um, you know, the responsibility of trying to be a dad, um, trying to be a husband, um, it wasn't a role that uh, I knew how to play. I knew that I still had something going on and, and I just really started to look for what, what had happened. Why did I end up here? And so as I started to look, I get given a book, right? And, and, and the book goes, okay. So now all of a sudden I start to think a little bit and uh, I start to feel a little bit better. And, and I grew up as, you know, in an entrepreneurial home. So, you know what, I'm going to start a business and, and, and so, you know, started to find some motivation and some ways out and realized that I had more than what people were telling me, right? Like you, you don't even have a high school education, Bob, you can't do anything and, and stop listening to them. Just like I had in my yeah. hockey career, right? Everybody told me you'll never play professional. Um, so I started to look at the, the things that I had developed and the things that had made me exceptional enough to be a professional hockey player for 10 years. You know, I won three championships uh, at the major level. I, I was an all-star several times in my career, despite all of this shit going on. Yeah. So I had something inside that, that was special and I needed to tap into that again. And, and so my curiosity got peaked and my dissatisfaction was at the highest level it had ever been. And those were two of the key drivers for me really finding the answers and the people and having the conversations 
that allowed me to start to feel better and, and become better and realize that I didn't need to drink. The drinking was just to numb out from the pain that I didn't have to feel ashamed about anymore. This was a shitty thing that happened to you, Bob. It's time to get on with it, right? Let's put it in the past. Let's move forward and, and make a difference. Let's live the life that you want to live. And, and so that's the conversation that started to happen instead of your worthless piece of shit that's let everybody down in your life. And it wasn't until I changed the record that, um, you know, I could kind of change the reality. So what are kind of the steps that you started to do to really change that record or that story? Like what are some of the things on a daily basis? Because to change how you think doesn't just happen. It takes those habits, you know, what are some of the things that you applied that really helped you with that? I think the most important first step, Lance, was, was just having the awareness of, of what was going on Yeah, and, and recognizing that, okay, here's, here comes the dark side again. It's like, no, no, we don't need to go there anymore. And so the awareness piece was, was huge just to recognize when it's happening because that's when, when you can stop it, right, or, or start to do um, something that's going to counteract it. You know, that was really the first part for me was just growing my awareness. And, and then it was different tools. Okay, so now I got to look at the habits that I have. Well, yeah, you run away, you, you lie. Um, you know what I mean? You, yeah. you dive into the bottle and, and want to avoid all the responsibility. Well, let's start being honest. Let's start standing up. Let's start taking, um, you know, accountability for our actions. And, and so it was hard because I had never really done that. And again, you know this better than anybody. When you're an athlete, you're, you're kind of let, you know, you're given a lot of rope. Yeah. And so I really struggled with accountability because, you know, my whole life, I was a good enough athlete that a lot of times it was just overlooked. Yeah. Don't worry about it. He doesn't have to do his schoolwork. He doesn't yeah. have to, right? You don't have to do these things because you're special. Yeah, And then comes the day when you're not special anymore and the rest of the world goes, I don't give a fuck who you are or what you've done. You owe me this. You have to do yeah. this. You said you would do this. And, and so, you know, that learning curve was, was exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> That's so true too. You just get that free pass a lot. And I, you know what? I took that into the bar industry too. Like I, I somehow was able to just, you know, focus on the things that I could do and get other people to do the other stuff that I didn't want to do. It's the same sort of thing. I managed to, it's, it's funny how we do that, you know? And when you're in, when you're in a bar industry, that's for me was like, I could just hide. I could just be, I could do what I loved, which was talk to people and meet, meet women and make money. And I could still drink. It was like this, it was like the perfect, perfect storm. <laughs> to hide, you heaven. know, it was heaven on earth. <laughs> yeah. And it, it was yeah. like so much fun, but at the same time, like there was a lot of dark times in there too. And I had to really get, really get it clear with myself. Like I always knew that the drinking wasn't the, like, it's not the thing. It's not, it's not the way out. It really isn't. You know, by, by no means was it all awful, right? I got no. to meet some great people yeah. and I did have some good friendships, but there was a lot of, um, manipulation. Yeah. You know, I had always felt, and it was really interesting to, to kind of go through this process of, you know, understanding that people were more interested in me because of what I did, you know? So again, here's that identity thing. 
And so when you start to identify that, it's like, they don't really give a shit who I am. It's just the fact that I'm a professional hockey player, you know, and they want to tell all their friends that they hang around with a professional hockey player. Okay. So if they're going to use me, then I'm going to use them. So again, you know, it, it, it just creates those bad habits and, um, it, shitty relationships. And, and I think a lot of people, you know, would be able to relate to this is, you know, how many real relationships, how many people truly know who you are in your life. And, yeah. and when you start to realize that it's, uh, I do a lot of acting and we don't need to do any more acting. Oh man, that's so true. You know, you got to be authentic. You got to be real. And that is one thing that I am super grateful for with this podcast because like, I just get to have conversations like this with amazing people like you and we get to just be ourselves and be real and it feels good. It's like a sense of freedom because you don't have to fucking hide. Like I don't hide. I just talk about shit and it's like, I, I feel so grateful for it because there's not a lot, there wasn't a lot of opportunity for that kind of thing before, you know, and a lot of conversations, my conversations were all just, you know, um, alcohol infused you know, bullshit talk. It's all fun, but it's like you, sometimes you don't even remember. You see the person on the street the next day. It's like you turn your head, you're like, wow, like what, you know, what kind of, what kind of world is that emptiness, you know? Yeah. And yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I, I wanted to ask you too, like, what, what do you see now? So, you know, working with mental health in sports, mm-hmm. where do you see the main, the main like struggle with athletes or like the main, like that, that key factor that keeps coming up. Is there anything specific like that? You're really like, wow, this is just, this is like, a, this just keeps happening. You know, the, the biggest problem that I see is, uh, and it's been this way for as long as I've been around is just the ignorance. Yeah. You know, it's the people, people don't know. Right. And, and they're not willing to look they're all right. And, and, and this is the way that things need to be done. And then you look at the culture and go, okay, well, why do we have all these kids suffering in silence still, yeah. you know what I mean? 40 years later. Um, why is there this entitlement? Why do you think that you're better than everybody else? Um, why are you not willing to learn some things that could make you better? You know, it's, it's ignorance and it's ego in sport. And I tell you, it, it, it really hasn't changed. If anything, it's gotten worse. Um, you know, the younger athletes are really being conditioned to think that they are better than everybody else and that they're special. Mm. Um, you know, the coaches really struggle to deal with that, you know, new mindset of the 21st century athlete and the parents are there in the middle, you know, really stirring the pot and, and trying to get their kids through things that they couldn't get through themselves or, right. you know, undo all the wrongdoings that, that happened to them. And so the kids aren't resilient, right? The kids don't understand the proper work ethic. They don't understand. And I don't want to say sacrifice. I think it's more commitment, right? I used to hear that word all the time is you're going to have to sacrifice, sacrifice. Well, no, it shouldn't be a sacrifice, <laughs> yeah, right? If you're striving for life. something, it should be that you're committed to it, that you're yeah. dedicated yeah. to it. So, yeah. you know, those are the biggest issues that we see. And what does it cause excessive stress? Um, anxiety, lots of drugs and alcohol, um, you know, still going on. The drugs are more dangerous now than they ever were. Um, it, it, it's continuing to ruin lives when it should be, you know, some of the best times of our lives. Yeah. What are, what are your thoughts on, you know, 
everybody getting offended these days and and you have to watch everything you say here's the thing like for for me growing up i i look at it and i i talk to theo about this too it's like i look at it two ways you know one way all right maybe you shouldn't there, there's a way that you can't speak to people and fear the fear tactic doesn't work and you eventually tune it out but that's all i knew but there was also a level that I appreciated in that strategy for, for discipline, right? And it really conditioned me to work hard. And, you know, there was a lot of ways, but I, I think there could be better ways. But now, anything you say now, it's like, it's almost offensive. And it's almost like you got to, I know I've talked to some of the coaches now, you know, I got friends that coach, you know, junior A teams here in BC or around and or all around Canada. And it's like, you really got to watch what you say and you can't like, there's just so much more everybody. There's like a spotlight on everybody. And I think it's good in a way, but I also think it's, 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 I don't know if we're conditioning these kids the way they should be because you're right. There's so much entitlement. There's all these like player agents for each player. There's all this crazy shit that I heard about that. I'm like, wow, it's crazy. And I mean, maybe that's good in a way, but like, what are your thoughts on the, the strategy of coaching now versus then? Because I, I just, I can't imagine how you can develop an athlete, you know, in all the areas by, by doing, by really sugarcoating everything for them, you know, like how, what do you, how, where do you see that? Cause I could be wrong. No, you know, we, we, we developed a course that we, you know, we've been working with the coaches for years. It's called being an exceptional role model. Hmm. And it really does start with the coach and, and the character that he possesses, who he is, right? Yeah. Again, we go back to that conversation. Who are you? As a coach, we have to ask that question. And what, what is it that I want to instill in these athletes? So the four pillars that we really focus on are respect first you know, why should we have to earn somebody's respect? Can't we give it and then let them know when they're losing it? Mm. You know, and that respect is just so important because I remember coaches would say, you know, you've got to earn my respect. And it's yeah. like, well, fuck, how do I do that? You know, because they would never tell me how to do it. Yeah. Um, they would just tell me when I, when I wasn't doing the things that they wanted me to do. So, you know, respect is the first one. And, and once we have respect for each other, well, now we can build that trust, right? That, that I'm in a safe spot you know, Lance, I'm not happy with your performance. I don't think that you brought your best effort. I think you've been taking a lot of time off. Um, I think that you think that you're better than everybody else. And until we can fix those things, um, we're going to continue to have this problem. And I'm going to tell you, you're going to lose that battle because I'm the coach. And unfortunately, I have to make those tough decisions. That's my role. So what I want to do is I want to have a conversation with you about how we can get you back on the page that everybody else is on so that you're the one that can benefit from that. Because Lance, if we can do that, then we're going to be that much stronger as a team, right? So I can yeah. still be a little bit of a prick, yeah, um, but not in a disrespectful way. So that respect and the trust and then patience and integrity, right? I'm going to do what I say I'm going to do. And if you do that too, well, now what we've really built, Lance, that, that is more valuable than anything is we've taught him how to be in a relationship. Mm, I love that. That's great. I mean, yeah, rather than, you know, scaring them into doing it, like, you know, like if you don't do this, you guys are, you guys are going to have wet gear when you get back and you're going to go hit, you're going to practice as soon as we get off the bus. 
if you guys lose this game. Like, you know, like that's, yeah. Coaches are guides, right? Yeah. And, and the biggest problem that we've learned over the years of doing this, you know, I got mind has been around for 12 years now is that every kid comes into the season thinking this is the coach that's going to make me good. And, and so there's a lot of pressure on that coach. And then, you know, we sit in the room with the coaches and we say, okay, so, you know, who in this room has, has won a championship and no hands go up. Right. And there's 40 coaches it's like, okay, why the fuck are these kids going to listen to you if you don't know how to be successful? Yeah. And, 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 you know, then you got the parents in it. So, so what we do is we like to bring all the groups together and have this conversation. What are the expectations you have of the coach as a parent, as a player, what expectations do you have of your coach? And then as a coach, what expectations do you have of the parents and the players? And if we can all clarify those things, well, now we can hold each other accountable because the minute that you're not meeting the expectations that we've already talked about, I can hold you accountable. And if it needs to get a little bit heated, this is what we agreed on. If we can do it, you know what I mean, in a much calmer manner, then, then, then we've developed, you know, some very valuable skills that are going to help us truly get out of this experience what sport is to provide. And that's, you know, th- those life-changing memories and, and character development and and hopefully the success that everybody's looking for. Yeah. It's, it's so important. It's, it, man, I don't know what my life would be like if I didn't have that foundation as a hockey player growing up and you don't realize it, you know, all I wanted to do is live a normal life. I wanted hockey to be done. I was so tired of it at one point. I loved it, but at the same time I was kind of over it too. Um, but once I was done, I was like, that was stupid because that was the, that was amazing. (laughs) And you just don't realize it when you're young, you know? And um, one of the last questions I wanted to ask you also is like, where do you see coaches struggling, you know? And then I'm, I'm pretty sure this could go across the board for leadership in general. Like, where do you see them being like, hey, like, this is tough. Like, how do I deal with parents? How do I deal with electronics in these kids' hands all the time? Like, how do I deal with, well, I'll just Google it or YouTube it fuck off like that's what i can imagine would be challenging because i'm like even a teacher nowadays like i don't know how you do it like i don't know how you can you you can deal with all that stuff like what is the biggest struggle you see with these coaches what they're going through yeah i think everything you described right mostly how to be able to to relate to the you know the younger people of today um and then deal with you know the parents who have some of these expectations. One of the things that we've really identified is never in the history of the world have there been more generations living in one time period, right? Because you, you've still got the baby boomers, right? Like they're, oh, yeah. they're, they're at the end of their cycle. And, and then you got the next, and, and then you've got the next, and, and, and now you've got millennials and you've got wise. And, and, and so, you know, because they all have their different values and beliefs um, of, of, you know, how they see the world and we struggle to see those other perspectives, we, we, we tend to really butt heads and fight, right? And uh-huh. then we can judge, blame and, and label instead of, you know, understanding that my role here is, is to teach this young person uh, those characteristics that they're going to need. So respect, you know, the integrity, um, you know, being able to have that relationship where we can disagree but not to the point where we resent each other for it. Right. And, and so that's our bigger job, right? And if we can do those things, and, and we've seen this, 
the athletes just flourish, right? The skill development and, and the work ethic and everything, it all changes. But it's not until we provide that kind of environment and, and support system, you know, for the athletes, for the parents. And so the coaches have a really tough job because this is a lot of work and, and a lot of them are volunteer coaches. And um, it's not until, you know, we kind of step up into that leadership lens that, that things are really going to change in sport. Hmm. Yeah, it's, it's very powerful to thank you for doing what you do because this is, this is very important. And, you know, with your story and everything, I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's powerful. And, and I think sometimes for people to buy into it, if you're talking about mental health and trauma for people to buy into it, the person's had to have gone through it to talk about it. And I think that you, you, you definitely qualify for that. So man, thank you. Where, where can everybody come check you out and, and learn more about I got mind. And is there anything else you're working on that you want to promote to the audience as well? Um, you know, it's been a great hour, Lance. And, you know, every time we get to share what we've learned, um, people either get excited about it or they're quick to really go, yeah, you're full of shit. You don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, that's fine. Everybody's entitled to their opinion. We, we know that this work works, yeah. um, you know, not just for ourselves, but all the people that we do support. So, uh, you know, it's important that we have that open mind. I got mine.ca is the name of the company. Uh, it's been around for 12 years. Um, go to igotmine.ca. Uh, you know, it's, it, it's a resource. It, it's an opportunity. The, the things that we're seeing because parents and athletes are learning things together. And then we bring coaches into the conversation. Um, you know, during COVID, it's given us the opportunity to start working with some educational organizations because it's the same issues they're having. Uh, working with businesses because you know, the behavior that we learned at 13, 14 just continues on unless we change it. So we're having a lot of opportunities to work in the business field too and uh, help those cultures. It's just, there's so much work to do. This COVID thing is really um, showing the weaknesses of our society. Mm -hmm. And until we all take responsibility for ourselves in, in being able to manage ourselves and make good decisions and, and, and stop being angry and blaming everybody else, listen, you're in your place and I'm in my place. And if you do your part and I do my part, you know, we're, this is going to be a much better place. So there, there's a lot of work to do. And uh, if we can do anything to help any organizations out there, uh, we would love to do it. We've got a great team of passionate individuals that are solely dedicated to enhancing the lives of the people who want that. Yeah. And that's such a great point because all this stuff is transferable to all areas in life. Like in right now, what's going on in the world is a lot of people are facing these challenges and it's all these things that you're talking about and teaching is all universal as far as getting through things and dealing with the trauma that we faced. And that doesn't have to be, you know, at three or four years old, that can happen as a teenager, like it did for you. And I'm really, really glad that because there's a lot of times a lot of people think if it didn't happen, there's a lot of talk about trauma if it happens from zero till eight. And that is true. Like that's a very impressionable yeah. age, but it can also happen later. And, 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 you know, so, and a lot of people have that. And a lot of people are going to be dealing with those traumas now 
because they're going to be highlighted through all these different difficulties. And it's, they're not going to, you know, whether they lose their jobs or they're, they're getting sick or whatever it is, they're going to reach for the thing that they're going to try and cover up the, the pain from, which is the trauma. And I think all the stuff you're talking about, what we've talked about today is, is really um, can be used in all areas of life. You know, not just sports, which is which is really sports is just one of those things that it's ingrained in us, and it's it's such a great way for kids to learn this stuff. And you know, but it's definitely it's it's universal, right? It's important that we all learn this stuff, Lance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> if so, for the last question before we before we end it, if you had to think back to all the struggles, challenges, adversity. And you had to think of one lesson. What is one lesson that adversity has taught you? Oh, um, well, it, it, it's constant. And it's just something that, you, you know, you're always going to have to overcome, right? That's how we become, ultimately, what we want to become is, is we develop that resilience to overcome whatever's thrown in our way. And some of the obstacles are going to be small and annoying, um, other ones are going to seem absolutely uh, impassable. But the thing I've learned through my life is there's no obstacle that could be put in front of me um, that, that I don't have the ability to overcome. I have that strength within me and we all do, you know, because I've seen it with the people that we've been fortunate to work with is when, when everybody gets the right information, they can absolutely get over that wall. Mm, love it. Thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. This was such an awesome conversation. Been a pleasure, Lance. Thanks for having me. Thanks, everybody. Please leave us a review on Apple if you get value from this or share it with somebody. And if you haven't yet, subscribe or follow wherever platform you're on so that you stay on top of the episodes. We are also available on YouTube. So hit the subscribe button on YouTube and it's much appreciated. I love you guys. I appreciate you. We will catch you next time.